My name is Logan Draper, and this is Modern Mad Men, episode number 29. And today I sat down with a buddy of mine, Michael Laya, the CEO and founder of Dexter Learning Academy. You can find him at DexterLearning.com. Yeah, a really, really fascinating conversation. Really impressed with how this guy thinks, how he operates, and really just the amazing human that he is. And so really excited to see what he does in the future, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy. We had to plan this like three weeks out. We did. That was before I was in China. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have you been in China recently? Three times. Do you like it? Um, I don't like the process of traveling because you just totally screw up your sleep cycle. Yeah. Uh, but the value of seeing such a different culture, because you can go to Europe, you can go to Mexico, but it's still a free market for the most part. Yep. Quasi-capitalism. But there, so different than the United States. Yeah. Uh, like a monoculture, so you're just surrounded by other Chinese people. Because like in the U.S., we take it for granted that we have a diverse populace of immigrants. Uh, but then being in like in a communist society, granted they're pushing to capitalism and there's certain pockets of it that's just killing it. Yep. Like Shenzhen and Hong Kong. Uh, but seeing a communist country up close and personal um, definitely makes you come home and just kind of, wow, this is a, the greatest country on the planet. Yeah. Like it's actually. Yeah. For all the shortcomings and the military industrial complex and all the things that you can kind of complain about, yep. at the end of the day, Things like due process. Yeah. Thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, Seriously. Uh, so definitely, you know, coming back to the, to the U.S. has made me appreciate how awesome it is. Um, that said, the future is in China. Yeah. They're, they're headed in the right directions. Uh, it's just a numbers game. You know, so there's like 1.3 so billion. Um, they have the resources. Uh, you know, so just the top 10%, say like the top smartest 10% of their kids that will like outnumber our entire student population. And so there's just a numbers game. It's and then terrifying. the fact that they don't have a lot of inf like infrastructure built out, they can leapfrog. And so we have like telecommunication systems and transportation systems, payment systems. Uh, they don't have a lot of that infrastructure in place. They get to kind of create it with modern day technology, like the smartphone. Yeah. And so now like mobile payments, like you don't use cash there, you use your phone to pay for everything. Hmm. Uh, and so they're just leapfrogging us in so many ways. So is that like planned or is it like a byproduct of just how it's all played out? Uh, well, I mean, it's definitely a planned economy. Um, but Hong Kong was like the great experiment. And so they did mm. this special economic zone in Hong Kong and it just brought so much wealth and prosperity and uh, brought people out of poverty. And in mm. China, like that's a huge issue. Like tens of millions of people died in the famines of a few decades ago. And so they're like pretty pragmatic. Yeah. So how do we lift our people out of poverty? Well, it turns out the free market and capitalism is kind of the way to do it. Yeah. And so that's kind of where it's headed. Um, that said, they, because it's kind of centralized and like top down control, a lot of the, like say, like sometimes you'll like look at a building in China and it will like look very aged, hmm. uh, like in poor quality design. Um, hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with because some of these things are propped up by the government. So here in the U.S., for the most part, something will either stand or fall based off of the free market and like those competitive pressures. Mm. And so like if you're an architecture firm, whether or not you're still in business is a byproduct of how good your design is, how successful you are. Yeah. Uh, whereas there, those same competitive pressures aren't quite there. And even if they're 
there to a lesser degree, like that subtle difference really means a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Competition is great. Yeah. Like huge. That's why, you know, we need to, I don't know, like recognize that free market capitalism is, it works. Yeah. Like I've been, I was really surprised the statistics of where humanity was at like a hundred years ago is pretty shocking as far as what was the percentage of extreme poverty a hundred years ago? Yeah. It was like 70, 80, 90% in that area. A hundred years ago? Yeah. Now it's like less than 10%. Jeez. And so say what you want about <clears throat> evil corporations and what have you, but there's never been a better time in human history. Yeah. And that's pretty much a byproduct. Not at all. It's, yeah, it's amazing. It's when, like, when you're in China, are you in a fairly wealthy area? Uh, sometimes, you know, so I've been like all across the country at this point. Yeah. Beijing, uh, Shenzhen, uh, Hangzhou, Luoyang. But yeah, it, it, it's hit or miss. Like some parts of China feel like Soviet Union 1980 and mm-hmm. some parts feel like moon colony 2040 like super advanced and so like there's some areas in shenzhen that were just incredible yeah um but then i was in like a rural village in Luoyang, uh which i had to get like government permission to even stay the night there um yeah so there's the vast majority of chinese citizens live like in the rural country but they're just like flocking to the cities and so you see these rows and rows of these 50-story condominiums that like look exactly the same and there's like a hundred of them and it's just it's insane. That's wild. <laughs> it's completely bizarre. I feel like if there's one place on earth that I feel like I know the least amount, it's China. Same. I just feel like I have no idea about um, the culture at all. And I feel, I kind of feel, we, my wife and I like three years ago went to Africa for mm-hmm. a little while. And I was pretty naive to that. But we were there like on a medical mission, which I shouldn't have been. I mean, I mean, I should have, but I knew nothing about that yeah. world. <laughs> so I was in the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. But How man, long were you there? Ten days. Where'd you go? Um, so we were in Nairobi, and we were going around to slums. And uh, I know one of the slums, I think it's Kibera, and I could be wrong on that, but it's like the largest slum. It's like a million people in like a square mile. And uh, it was wild. Holy, like, like no electricity. I mean, like when we first walked in, there was just like this pig hanging up in the shop. I know how long it's been there. Mm-hmm. And they were like, there's just like poop water going down the sides. Like it's just filthy. But the people were different. I mean, there was like a level of joy in some of them that was crazy. But there was, a, but in the darkness, it was dark. Yeah, it was dark. And so I just, I've learned like, I feel like when you haven't been somewhere and walked on the soil, like it's hard to understand. Yeah, like that's such a foreign world. And think of those, you know, say we might look at the leader of that country and be like, disagree with what they're doing, but then yeah. we just can't empathize with the realities of like what's on the ground there. Yeah, uh, like. I cannot really comprehend what it'd be like to live in a slum. No. No. Which, I, have, I have friends yeah. that can't even go camping. <laughs> yeah, and you For know, yeah, if you, if you know, I have friends that if you don't put the almond milk in their latte, their seven dollar latte from yeah. Starbucks, Ball then game. it's yeah, friendship over. I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's just a whole different. I mean, and that's where I feel. You know, it's hard. I mean, you put assumptions on people. Like, all my friends that were here from China were, like, we're always good at math, you know? Yeah. Or they were always smarter or whatever. And, like, these, there's always these generalizations. But, like, understanding that culture is so fascinating. Yeah. And, like, you just even seeing the stuff you've been putting online with, like, the schools and stuff. Like, man, that's a different – they look at it different than us. 
Yeah, and there, like 100%, there's huge differences in the culture of the people. Um, that said, I found in my travels that people are pretty much the same. Yeah. So you know? go into that. Like, what do you mean? Well, like so much of who we are is dictated by like underlying biology and uh, like innate human tendencies. Mm. And so like for the most part, most people, they want to live a peaceful life. They want to provide for their family. Uh, they want to have close relationships. They want a better life. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Most people are genuinely nice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've really found that. And I think we like overemphasize the differences between us. And, you know, you, even in the U.S., it's like, oh, they're so different in New York and compared yeah, to yeah. Texas. But it's like maybe we did. That's just kind of what you're emphasizing. And so if you kind of think in those terms, then yeah. everything's different. But if you like think in terms of how are we similar, then this whole other world of similarity opens up and it kind of allows for you know, some real like nonverbal communication to take place. Yeah. So I was like, we were teaching kids computer programming and they didn't speak English. And, and yet their, their process of learning was like very similar to the kids in the U S. And so we were able to kind of bond on this intellectual level, which was pretty cool. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's all like that, man. The, I think that everyone's different from where they're from. Um, but I think it's just so easy now to view it that way when all you see is people digitally. Yeah. You read stuff online or you watch a documentary. But it's really easy, I think, to relate to someone. If you genuinely just could sit down with everybody like this. Like we were talking about before we started yeah. recording, like just sit down face to face, have a conversation with somebody. It's a whole new world. Well, and you start to understand yeah. them. We need like there's no we don't have a choice. Yeah. As a planet. If we keep divolving into like cultural and identity politics, like I'm a this, I'm a that you know, yep. like my dad's from Colombia, so I'm Hispanic. I don't think of myself in those terms. I'm a human on planet Earth. Yep. And once you have that mental shift, it's just really opens the game. Yeah. You know, you start, you stop seeing yourself as part of this kind of random group you're born into and more of this, more in this larger context. Um, yeah. And so this like emphasis, emphasis on your race and where you're from, you know, I think that it's for the convenience of politicians. Yeah not for the convenience of like a global society. It's been it like a along. weird shift though, because I mean, obviously a lot of, we've had a lot of good, like you just said a little bit ago, I firmly believe this is the greatest time. No, quite. there's live. not a, there's not a debate. The numbers are clear. Yeah. Absolutely. The best time. Um, and as that shift's gone on, a lot of good things have happened, but as that's done, you've sectioned people by who they want to marry or what their race is. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's interesting is that's good to celebrate like where you're from. It's created a lot of division that in some ways is unnecessary. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of been the, the bummer. That's probably my favorite part about doing the podcast. It's just like, who am I to tell mm-hmm. you anything about your life? Yeah. Like, you just tell me. And let's just figure it out. But I think that's that's the coolest part. That's, that's probably the number one reason why like, I think more people should travel. Well, and that's the thing. Like, if you think of yourself in the context of, uh, I'm a Hispanic male. This is who I am. This is everything about myself. Yep. You don't have to ask a lot of questions about, like, who you are, really. Yeah. And so it kind of gives you this surface level veneer and prevents you from asking like the real deep questions. Like, who are you really? Like, what Mm -hmm. does it actually mean to be a human? Uh, you're okay. So then you like, you keep asking these questions and it gets like deeper and deeper. And then it's like, okay, well, humans are just like really intelligent monkeys and we have a consciousness and we exist in this really complex universe. Uh, and those are like really like thorny, hairy, big questions to ask. And 
they don't get asked whenever you have this very neatly viewed worldview of like, I'm this, I'm not that, that's how everything is. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's kind of easy. Have you ever done that with somebody? What? Like just sat down and like peeled the onion back? I've been like, who yeah, are you? Yeah, probably all the time. Yeah. Because when you ask uh, somebody who they are, the first well, thing they yeah. answer is what they do. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, well, I'm a blank. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, like just sat down and peeled that onion back? Well, I feel like, like you're somebody who's got to be good well, at Well, like that. yesterday, like we, we try to do that with our, with our kids. And so mm-hmm. like, because we want to give these kids powerful ideas that they can view the world. Yep. Like for instance, because powerful ideas are force enablers. So uh, some random kid that has like an IQ of 100, like not even, not, not, not a genius by any means, he can do more than Leonardo da Vinci mm. if he has a few powerful ideas, mm. like calculus. Like that's a really powerful idea. And so our goal is to kind of give kids these worldviews, these powerful ideas. And so yesterday, the, the powerful idea we wanted to give kids was everything's connected. All knowledge is connected. Mm. You go to class and it's like math class, art, reading. It gives you this, this notion that things are separate, like because words don't glow. So we had to talk about like language and we had this really interesting conversation about the difference between the terrain and the maps. Yeah. Uh, and so what we had them do was a Wikipedia rabbit hole. So we said, pick any topic, super random. Some kid picked an apple, one kid picked plasma, one picked carrot, uh, one picked Skynet. So just do that. Hmm. Go to the Wikipedia page, click on the very first link after it starts talking about it. And then write down that link, read about what that is, and then just keep doing that process. And so then they started with this like very high level abstraction and then just like kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it turns out all roads lead to language, linguistics, ancient Greece, Mm. something along those lines. And so they did this exercise with a few different topics and then they mapped it out visually. And so some of them did it with like a crazy tree. Some of them did it linearly. Some of them drew a bunch of pictures. Um, that was really, really powerful as far Mm. as like giving them now a mental model to dig a little bit deeper into themselves Yeah. because now they recognize that this seemingly random thing, like a carrot, if you go a little bit layer, a few layers down, that's now related to the geopolitics of the United States. And then a few layers down, that's related to mathematics. Yeah. And then a few layers down, that's linguistics and language. Yeah. Uh, if you get that framework of thought, then you kind of converge on these big questions. And that's why like, it's really interesting the work we're doing in China and really across the whole planet, if you can get, if you can like evolve the way people view reality, you'd think that we'd all kind of converge on proper forms of governance, proper forms of relations, yeah. just because it's like, there's logically smart things to do. Yeah. Like, why don't I, like, why am I not punching you in the mouth right now? Yeah. Is it because I'm like really good? There's an element of that, but also like I'm pragmatic. It does yeah. not make sense for me to punch you in the face logically. Yeah. So there's like a, there's reason there's like, it's like a, a morality informed by logic and reason. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we kind of peeled the onions back doing things like that. And that required like participation. And, you know, there was literally an eight year old that was, he was like, uh, what picture should I draw for reality? <laughs> Cause he got nah. to the reality Wikipedia page. Yeah, nah. What picture should I draw for that? You know, so then you have to start thinking, well, what is reality to, if you're going to represent that pictorially? What a nightmare question. For a 10-year-old. I'd have shut like, the school down right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I, don't, I don't know. But those are the type of things that we need to, like, those are increasingly the important, important questions. Yeah. And 
to give kids opportunity to have those conversations in like a safe environment yeah that's like healthy and there's facilitators around and there's peers around uh, some really cool things can emerge from that so when you say safe environment like what do you what do you guys value as safe um, safe's probably not the best word. I would probably say like optimal. Like okay. we're really into this thing called systems thinking. Okay. And it's this idea that nothing can be viewed in isolation. And so like if you see a flower, if you want to change the quality of that flower, you have to understand the system that it's embedded in. Okay. And so like most people are not scientifically trained and so they see things in isolation. So if they see a flower, it's not growing, they yell at it or they protest it. But it's like, no, you're misunderstanding. The flower okay. is a crystallization of this really complex system. If you want to change the flower, understand the system, change the water quality, how much sun it receives. Um, but we don't do that. And so like, because language, like flower, it's a single word, human, but like, all right, yeah. what happens if I take all the air out of this room? Yep. <laughs> yep. You slowly disappear and you die. So you cannot exist without the air in this room. And so, uh, this is not something that comes natural to people. This is why we have people like protesting. And this is why we have people acting really nasty towards each other because they just see them in isolation. They don't see that, hey, they only got 6.3 hours of sleep mm. and that they're not getting a nutritionally good diet and that their dad left when they were through all these, you know, these like compassion, yeah. this compassion informed by, by reason. Um, so going back to the kids safe environment, like learning environment, what is the optimal environment? If our kids are like flowers and not performing correctly, should we blame the flower or should we blame the gardener? Mm. which is us like we should redesign our learning spaces to be optimal for learning outcomes and so when i say safe i mean it more in like broad terms for instance there's a study that came out and it says that higher reasoning declines at a certain level of co2 in the room you know because we breathe and when that carbon dioxide reaches a certain level your brain starts not functioning you can't think straight well, if you, they actually measured this in classrooms, it's like five to 600 times that allowable value because you close the door and you have 30 kids in there talking and over the next 20, 30 minutes, those levels start getting higher and higher. Yep. And that affects how they learn. You know, so that's something to think about or the lighting or the sound or mm. the tools you have uh, access to. Um, we're not thinking intelligently about designing these spaces. Yeah. You know, we blame the kids, we blame the teachers, but really I think we need to blame ourselves for not thinking carefully about designing our spaces, hmm. our work environments, our learning environments, our city, because every artifact that we create has a bias. It has a politic. You know, there's this great article called Do Artifacts Have Politics? And it talks about like hmm. how they would use technological artifacts to imbue politics into a community. So hmm. like they built these bridges to get to this nice suburb and they made them too low for buses to go through them. Why? Well, they didn't want public transport getting into this cushy suburb. Mm. And so that design decision had like very important effects on the community or yep. on the outcome. And so when I say safe learning environment, just thinking like very deeply and carefully about, okay, what makes for the optimal learning environment? Yeah. Um, and that's why we've built this space out. Um, and that's why like, Dex, there's a few reasons we chose the word Dexter, um, but one of them is because that character, Dexter's laboratory. Yeah. He's like a little genius. Yep. But it's because he had that crazy lab. Yep. If he didn't have access to that lab, that environment, he'd just be kind of a crazy little kid. Yeah. And they might say like, oh, he has ADD because he's always like so yeah. crazy. Like he couldn't 
actualize all of those things in his head and like that actualization of building something of creating something of experimenting of participating it like builds upon each yeah, other i love that and that's why like you know referencing the bible like well i don't i'll paraphrase but it's to those who have more will be given yeah so there's like this power law distribution and things like snowball and build upon each other uh you know and so like we should think very carefully about the spaces we put our kids in hmm. and it should be not just safe, but it should be biased towards the outcomes we want. Yeah. You know, it's like Google said, don't be evil when they started. And they recognized that they were building a system. And so it wasn't about like people not being evil. It was about the system itself being designed mm. so evil couldn't manifest. Yeah. And so we need to be like much more about system. Like we need to be systems designers. Yeah. When we're thinking about learning and working as well. Yeah. Like, the sh- like when you have a meeting in your workplace later today, like think about how the shape of the table will impact the dialogue. Yeah. Like what if it was a circle versus a rectangle or what if we didn't have a table at all? Like we're not thinking about these things because again, we don't have the powerful idea that everything's a system. We just, we don't learn that in school. Yeah. Cause it's so new. Like these, like these powerful ideas just came on the scene. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, so, how do you, so how do you do that? So let's just go down to like the small form of like the table. Mm-hmm. So you change it and then you, do you just like spend some time with it? Pra- well, no, you use, you use uh, design thinking and like the way that we create any technological artifact, which is you, and like the scientific method. So you, in the case of design thinking, you like empathize, you like learn about who you're designing for. Hmm. Uh, then you define that. You know, so like we're dividing, like, you know, we talk to kids and we see them in the classroom and then we define that in some type of like construction. So like we're designing for kids that are 10 to 12 that are trying to learn this. And then mm-hmm. we come up with ideas around that. And then we prototype and then you test. And you like that constant feedback loop of prototyping, testing, failing, testing, failing, like being more open to the scientific method, like continuous failure is a good thing. But because mm-hmm. this is why China's succeeding where the U.S. isn't. The U.S. is so politically driven on these like really short time horizons, two to four years. It's seen as really dangerous to fail and to do an experiment. It doesn't work. Mm. Whereas in China, it's more like 20, 30, 50, 100, 500 year timeline. And so like that feedback process is part of the game. Yeah. But when was the last time you heard a politician talk about a 500 year timeline? Yeah, never. And yet that's like precisely what we need right now. Yeah. And that's why kids are not interested in learning because they don't understand the broader context. Context, And, you know, in the 60s, like in the space age, kids were super motivated to learn Newtonian mechanics because it fit within this larger context and vision of humanity reaching for the stars, which is really like a multi-thousand year yeah. process. Uh, and, you know, like we had that broader context for a lot of human history in religious stories. And that's kind of slowly become marginalized Hmm. and so now we need a new narrative we need a new context uh we need to if you will not rewrite those stories but revitalize those stories yeah so because i have a lot of questions i want to ask you but like why why start dexter why here and why start dexter so i'm if i describe my life it's like an endless series of obsessions Mm. i like that um which is great, but at a certain point, it can become like really dangerous. Yeah. Because as you get older and older, you know, like I was always the boy of infant potential, and I could really have done anything that I wanted. You know, like 
you could have like been athletically and been like a pro golfer or yep. you could have gone this route and been a scientist or, you know, like, so you have like all this potential and you don't want to give that up um, because it's nice to have infinite potential because mm-hmm. you have to make the sacrifice on a, like an individual identity. Um, like when, but at some point no one likes the 25 year old Peter Pan. Mm. Certainly they don't like the 35 year old Peter Pan. Uh, and so for me, I really had to stick my teeth into something. Um, and I'd done so many different projects over the years. I've tried so many different things. I've built so many different things. Uh, and so that's really helpful as far as like finding your path. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like this search optimization. You just, you're in a maze and you just go through a bunch of different paths. Yep. Uh, and I was lucky enough to have the support structure to enable me to do that. Like, you know, did a startup and then went back to Midwestern and uh, finished my engineering and physics degrees. Um, and so for me, it's like, okay, there's all these things I could do. There's all these things I think matter. What's, and this goes back to being informed by like these big questions, like what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? It, it seems like to reduce suffering to the extent possible to make life better for, for all consciousness. Mm. Um, and there's that Henry David Thoreau quote, there are thousands hacking to the branches of evil for one striking the root. Mm. And so for me, it's the question is like, what's the root? Like, what's the meta problem that I could work on? And in solving that problem, that would lead to, you know, like nuclear fusion being solved mm. and uh, genetic engineering, you know, solving cancer uh, and colonizing the, the stars. And all these things can be solved if we solve the education problem, mm. if we help people think more clearly. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I'm working on it is because it's, it's the meta problem. Um, and it kind of arose like very organically and uh kind of snowballed on itself you know so kind of the path kind of opened up and uh it just like gained more and more momentum and uh you know like taught a course when i was in california at stanford and had like a lot of momentum from that and came back to wichita falls and did some workshops here and built more and more momentum and then actually got people to pay us money which sounds like an easy thing to do because most people exist within some system or pattern that is already making money. Yeah. You know, so you like go work at a restaurant and it's like, oh, it's easy. People will just pay you money. Yeah. But it's like what you don't see is the process that to get that system in place that people are actually exchanging money and value for a product is like so difficult. Yeah. Um, so freaking hard. Was that yeah. a cool feeling though? The first one? Oh, yeah. It's, it's also like a gut check. Yeah. Like, oh crap, I gotta, now I gotta provide. <laughs> I have to, I have a, yeah, I'm making an, we're making a transaction here and I have, I have an obligation yep. to provide value. Um, but once you get that going, and again, this is why the power law distribution exists, you know, like why there's this huge gap between those that have and those that don't is because like once you start having an opportunity and you seize it, more opportunities open and it just kind of like snowballs from there. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what happened with Dexter, you know, and so we, did workshops and then more courses and then more people signed up and more opportunities. Um, and so at this point I'm working my face off, but at the same time I feel like the winds at our back. And so now it's just kind of, you know, this combination of deliberate, disgusting amount of work ethic combined with like going with the flow. Yeah. Cause the flow, like we're, we're pushed, like we're going in like a very clear direction because yeah. we've, putting the work to make yeah. that initial momentum. That's a hard balance. Because you can't work like that forever. Uh, I don't know. Like, 
again, thinking of yourself as a complex system. Yeah. Um, like one of the things we ask our kids is like, how many atoms are in your body? It's seven times 10 to the 27. Uh, so you're like just this very complex pattern mm. and arrangement, almost like a whirlpool. Um, and so do we know how to maintain that pattern, how to strengthen it? Yeah, we do. Get a lot of sleep, yeah. eat healthy, exercise. And then there's like fringe stuff like going to the sauna, fasting, um, meditation, having good relations. Yeah. You know, so I think this idea that you can't work too hard, like I don't feel like I'm really working. Uh, and I also question to what it like, what level of efficiency is the average person working at? Yeah. Like one, one percent. Like literally, you know, Seriously. so Evan and I had this conversation and I said, what was I say? 27%. Yeah. I think I said 27%. That's what you're saying uh, right now. Yeah. That's what people are working at. And what do you uh, think you can get to? Isn't there a number they say? Well, I, I, well, so, so this is like the fascinating thing. So, and this is uh, there's this really great former Navy SEAL name. He might be actually no, former Navy SEAL, Jacko Wil- Wilkes, Wilkes, yeah, yeah. Wilcox. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure this is this is who tells this story. But he says, uh, "What if when you die, you meet the version of yourself you could have been? Mm. So you meet that version of yourself that's operating at 100 percent efficiency." Imagine that's, that's that. a nightmare thought. Well, so and, and his thing is like, I don't want to meet that person and see a stranger, but most people, Ooh. they're going to meet that person and they're not going to be able to recognize them. And that notion of regret of like what I could have been yeah, yeah. if I had like fully squeezed yeah. all the juice out of this life, what contributions I could have made, who I could have helped. Yeah. You know, cause like already we were watching one of the kids stayed after class yesterday and he was showing off this program that he made it was this combination of a video game and this movie mm. and it had probably taken him a week to make and had all this it had like hundreds of lines of code and uh i sat there and i was like you know what if everything just goes to the dock house tomorrow it was all worth it for this one kid mm. the impact we made on this one um and i'm at 27 percent. you know so if i'm fully efficient like the impact yeah we could have like the positive impact is huge um so yeah, that's, that's, I think that's something to strive for. That's a tough one. There's a balance. You know, because like you already saw that moment. But I think, for, I think that's why I think being an entrepreneur is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. It's lonely. Even though sometimes you have people around you, like a lot of times the ball falls in your court. You're chasing a lot of times like what y'all are doing is uncharted territory yeah. in a lot of ways. So it's, I mean, there's, I think that there's seasons of like, you feel like the wind's at your back, but what happens when the wind hits your face? Yeah. You know, it gets tough. Um, but when you love it, it's a little different. But I think for a lot of people, you see they miss the moments. Mm-hmm. Their head's always down working, and they never get to see the kid coding. Yeah, they never get to like enjoy the team that's building with them, and everything's everything and every second's about being productive, and they forget that the fruit is there. Yeah, and so that's cool, man. I I worry about that. That was well, one of the things yeah, I worry about for you. Yeah, that's one of the things that we think is important for kids as well. Like we learn so much that your early life is always about preparation. Hmm. And so so you get programmed you have these certain programs that just get drived into you as a kid and they they persist you know so you're in first grade and even what you do on monday it's in preparation for the test on friday and then if you zoom out that test is in preparation for the final and then you zoom out that final is in preparation for first grade graduation and then zoom out that first grade graduation is in in preparation for the beginning of second grade so everything is like prep 
prep, prep, you're prepping for this. And then you continue that, you graduate high school, and then that's just this prep for college, and college is preparation for what? Yep. For the job. Yep. And then like you just continue this prep, 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 and you kind of forgot the whole point, yeah. which Alan Watts said is like, life's a, a song you're supposed to dance to. Uh, so like, I think if you can get kids to prep for sure, but like, what about the third grader that he's a real human? You know, that girl should be doing authentic things at that moment. They yeah. can like stop and be like, this is, this is good. Yeah. Uh, so maybe a lot of people don't have that kind of in the moment gratitude. Yeah. Because it was just always about preparation as kids. Yeah. And we carried that on. I think what's cool about you and your team that most people don't have which makes me sad is that I love people's like driving ambition. I'm always about the person who's like, let's just go get it. You know, mm-hmm. let's just put in the work. Startups are hard, but man, I think that when you put profit over people, I think that's where a lot of people get, get caught up. Like we always talk about like when I die, like I, I, I care way more about the people I've invested in yeah, way more than anything else. Um, I'm, I'm only gonna be here for a short time and I'm only gonna get to do so many things. I would rather have invested in the people I had the chance to. I think it's cool that you guys have built it on the backbone. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you might be a complete liar. Um, I don't think you are, but everything you guys have is so much integrity and there's so much drive to do it better. Yeah. And it comes across that way. And it's, to me, it gets exciting. I wasn't giving up on the education system, but it was a bummer. Yeah. You know, I was, my wife and I were talking six months ago, our daughter will be born this next month and just got real. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> now school matters to me again. Yeah. But like, when 18 years, and this is, I guess, my question for you, like, so in 18 years, does she go to college? What does that look like, do you think? Is um, it different than it I is think, now? Honestly, the the university establishments, most of them will go out of business by then. Hmm. Student debt's at like 1.3 trillion. Once the delinquency rate gets to a certain level, those that free money will start com- stop coming. And when, you know, enrollment at Midwestern dips by 10%, they become so bloated with inf- like administrative costs and the VP of this and the VP of that with their nice $150,000 salary. Yep. Uh, they're just so bloated with infrastructure costs that they're going to go out of business. Hmm. Um, Is that a bad thing? Again, you zoom out. On the short term, Like something that's really chaotic is like harmony on another level. Uh, and that's like the beauty of the free market. And like, yeah this is what happens whenever you don't allow those natural processes to take place. Yep. You know, like the hand of God, like you should let these processes take place. Um, and if not, you get these like weird kind of cancerous growths hmm. that really weren't supposed to exist because you didn't allow the natural processes to take place. Um, like universities as such and schools as such would not exist in their current form if we allowed market forces to improve them. Hmm. Just like, you know, so cell phones are amazing. We have the, I'm holding the smartphone in my hand and pretty much anyone that wants a cell phone can get them because they're so cheap now. Mm. You know, so the poorest yep. of the poor, you know, I've seen them in San Francisco. They have a smartphone. They have an Android's phone. Uh, why is that? Is it because we had like a really well-meaning politician that, yeah. no, but imagine <laughs> if in like the 90s, a politician would have said, cell phones are so important. Everyone should have one. Let's have a government program that provides cell phones. It would be a disaster. That whole industry wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken off. And yeah. we'd be stuck with this old technology. Uh, you know, we'd be like Gordon Greco walking around with these, <laughs> like, these giant phones. Yeah. Um, but it was like, it was, maybe that would have gotten passed because like, 
was well-meaning, the do-gooders, you know, but the yeah. road to hell is paved in good intentions. Yeah. But what happened was they didn't do that. They allowed the free market. And what is the free market? It's just allowing reality to play out. Yeah. Like it's allowing the laws of physics. It's like reality is a harsh mistress and it'll punch you in the mouth. Mm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, as you know, like, yeah. you know, with business and with, with life, with everything. Doesn't care. It's, and there's something like really beautiful and like just righteous about that. It yeah, doesn't care it. what color you are, no. where you came from. No. Like the market is the market is the market. No. And, and you can reality, never do a good, you don't get to bank it back. Yeah. You don't get to do good for a little while and then take a break mm-hmm. like every day. Yeah. It's another chance to win or fail. And so like if, but if you pervert that process, then you miss out on all the great things that come from like human innovation and yeah. community. And so now we have these incredible smartphones and more money than ever has been fund as in pushed into the smartphone industry, more money than the government ever could have done. Yeah. So that's and, interesting. Like you're, so you talk about systems, so you can't build like, so the system's always changing for you. Like a, that's the yeah, system. It's a dynamic system. It's always growing, always figuring out what's next. Mm-hmm. You can't get comfortable in this ever. No. And that's, is that going to be hard to replicate? Or is he, are you just basically what you're replicating is breeding the culture of optimization and always changing? Um, you know what I'm saying? Maybe, yeah, clarify a little bit. So, I don't, and I don't know obviously what your business model is, but as you grow and as you change, like, you're not going to, you can't just like figure out what works now. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is what's happened a lot. You figure out what works now, you package it, and you sell it. Yeah. And you can't do that. Because it's going to look different in a year, two yeah. years. But if you've created the system and the culture of always asking the question and changing, then it just, you're, you're, you're creating a culture. You're not creating just a, a product. Yeah. So I think where we're headed is more of a platform. And so you, Kind of like what, you know, so uh, we had one of our learning scientists, the, the question was, what were the educational backgrounds of the founding fathers? Mm. Um, and the reason I asked that is because they were arguably some of the best systems designers that ever existed. Like the thing that they designed and built is still going. Mm. It's still operating. Uh, and it, yeah, edge cases, it's not so great, but it's freaking awesome. Like what they were able to design and build, it was, it's so robust because they thought of themselves as system designers. Uh, and it allowed for like all these emergent properties, this bottom up, you know, so many people think that if you see something complex, it must've required something more complex to create it or to build it. But what the science is very clear of the science of emergence of statistical physics, complexity emerges from very simple building blocks, interacting and having this kind of like complex thing. That's why Buckminster Fuller said, God's a verb, not a noun. Mm. These processes, that, that, that is God itself, where these things emerge. And so could the founding fathers ever have imagined of, I don't know, traveling in this crazy aluminum tube, 35,000 feet above the sky, yeah. as I'm checking my Twitter yeah. and drinking a latte? Yeah. <laughs> no. no, not at all. But their system allowed for that to emerge from it. And so like, we very much think of ourselves as in that spirit as like system designers yeah um you know so you can't just build products anymore you have to build platforms and systems yeah um if you want to have like huge impact yeah so how long ago 
been a company? Uh, October of last year. Yeah. So do you sit here right now, like thinking about like 60 years from now? Like you're just getting amped? Um, yes. Yes and no. Uh, like clouds and dirt, as Gary Vee would say. Yeah. You know, so like, and that was my problem when I was younger. It was just all about the clouds. You know, so all about the far out and the, you know, the 60 years from now. Yeah. Um, and it lacked like the practicality of like 60 minutes from now. Um, and so like I've had to get my head down much more in the dirt, you know, cause like now we have payroll. <laughs> uh, and so, but yeah. it's really great because when, what I found, if you are in the dirt, that informs your perspective for that 60 years out for sure. Uh, so I think, yeah, you have to have both. You have to balance both has yeah. been, has been, it's just nice, man. Like to, I feel like you and I could walk through the same room and see a totally different world. For sure. Like, no I think question. our brains are just drastically different. And it's super encouraging to me. Because, like, I think what if just if I was going to, like, my fear of what I thought was going on with you was, like, because you just, you're grinding. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, super smart. Like, and, like, you've, you just, and I think, to me, it's not about what you say always. Because I think a lot of people can mm-hmm. talk. I believe what you say. But just the team you have around you, it's a, it's a clear indicator of who you are as a leader. I think it's really cool. And you have great people. The whole yeah, squad's yeah, cool. I, yeah, I take issue with calling someone smart because it's really just adopting powerful ideas. Yeah. And so if anyone can adopt these powerful ideas, like genius, again, is like something you do, not something you are. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's so You shouldn't sad. have said that. Now I feel like i got to call you smart all the time. <laughs> well, I, I once said that to someone said, like, that's exactly something a smart person yeah. would say. <laughs> Which it kind of is. Um, well, no, but adopting these framework of thought. Yeah. You know, so. Like, but even that, like you're willing to dive so deep. Like you care about that culture. But, I, like but it's, it's not, I don't think it's like, I think we're much more like white blood cells. And we think like, you know, you're like, you're going to go home to Katie and like, oh, just, you know, how was the office today, Bill? Yeah. And we're all talking. Yeah, yeah. But like, why is For it sure. we do the same thing over and over again? Yeah just like our white blood cells, like when we're like in this larger system, um, you know, so I think as a species, as humans, um, it just like, this is how it goes. Yeah. Like this is how we progress. We adopt more complex languages. Yeah. We adopt different frameworks of thoughts. I thought you're being generous when you say we, Oh no, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it might be a sum. Well, but you know, so, okay. There's this thing there, Peter Thiel, he's the, uh, was the first investor in Facebook, um, founded PayPal, Palantir. Do you write a book? Yeah, Zero to One. Yeah. Great book. Everyone should read it. Yeah. Um, when I was in college, the first time around, I was really obsessed with him. And that's, when, and that's, not, that's, yeah, that's something. I would get like really obsessed with different people. Yeah. And just like, almost like sell in Dragon Ball Z and just like absorb all their yeah. stuff. Dude, I, I'm, that's all I do. It's so freaking, like, everyone and I don't know, should do that. I'm kind of glad you said that because I've always felt unhealthy about it. And sometimes it gets onto weird things where I'm like, like right now I've been listening to Theo Vaughn, a comedian, like all mm-hmm. the time. And uh, just his storytelling. Yeah. Like, I'm just big into that right now. But, yeah, I get, like, obsessed. And I will just, I will consume everything they've ever written. And, and yeah. And you, have to, you have to choose wisely. Like, that's, that's. Yeah. If I learned anything, rub. it's every person has something that's off. Yeah, you know. Well, and this is kind of cool. Yeah, and this goes to the 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 point about Peter Thiel. He was really obsessed with this philosopher named Rene Girard, and Rene Girard was a Stanford French professor. Uh, side note: 
Peter Thiel is a Christian, which is like weird for like this technology investor in Silicon Valley. But the reason was kind of how Rene Girard, Girard conceived of Christianity. Uh, but Rene Girard, his big contribution was mimetic theory, hmm. which underscored how imitation is like the name of the game in human dynamics. And so like all conflict is a consequence of imitating each other. Hmm. I want to mimic you. So like there's this watch right there. I have this watch. Now you see Michael has the watch. I want that watch. And so now we have a conflict that's based off of the fact that humans like to copy each other. Hmm. Uh, and then there's like, he talks about this scapegoat mechanism and then that Christianity is this unique story because the scapegoat is like that cycle is finally ended, uh, which is an interesting thing to think about. Um, but we imitate each other. Yeah. Way more than we can possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the content you consume. Oh, yeah. I've always viewed it like stain. Mm-hmm. So I tried to build some stuff for my wife. And so I was thinking about this. Like, you put it on, and depending on how long you leave it on or whatever, and then you wipe it off. But, like, with everything that you consume, good or bad, it's going to absorb something. Like, the content you listen to, the people you're around. Yeah. If you're around people who are negative, you will, over time, become negative. Yeah. And so that's something I've, I've tried to be careful of. But I'd, I feel like we can create filters for that. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm yeah. at a place now where I can hear something. Like, I'm, I'm going to have to probably spend six days processing everything you even said today. Mm-hmm. But, like, just processing that, I think that's the thing that I didn't have when I was in school. Yeah, those, like filters, taking the time those to filters do that. are key, especially yeah. now with, with all this information abundance. Yeah. You know, so, like, when someone makes a claim, you should be able to be a majority of one and, like, be able to say, bullshit. Yep. You know, like, and this is why. Yep. And that's an amazing thing whenever a 10-year-old can call BS because, like, they recognize that there's a logical fallacy in what you're doing. Yeah. And so like those filters, those lenses, those worldviews um, are really, really important. And I think, you know, you said we and maybe some um, were super sheep-like. And I think that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Like we've made it so far. Yeah. Like we've made it so far. Like it's, if you think about the trials and tribulations that humanity has gone through. And like, yeah. We're still here. Yeah. Uh, and doing pretty well. Um, oh. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're okay. We're, we have guys in the space station right now. Uh, yeah. But so I, I think when you say some, you're right. Like, you don't want the whole herd to just, like, move on a dime. Like, there should be some momentum because good ideas yeah. work. Um, and so you need the kind of, like, those fringe outliers to kind of, like, scout different areas. Yep. And, you know, for every, like, one outlier that makes a lot of sense, there's a million that just make no sense at all. Yeah. Um, the one thing, though, that's really powerful about humans is that we're able to very quickly adopt new ideas mm-hmm. as our own. And, like, we, that imitation thing comes into play. Yeah. And so, like, once someone finds some new fertile territory, and this is, like, intellectual territory now, and they're like, hey, guys, check this out. There's more food here. Yeah. This is better. Like, everyone just kind of turns on a dime. Yeah. And that's why, like, you know, we can walk outside and most people can read and write. Yep. That's a new deal yeah <laughs> good job human. <laughs> like yeah. so i i think that you know in a short period of time like 10 20 30 years you know maybe we'll really start adopting these kind of frameworks of thoughts and these powerful ideas and it will be kind of a given that a 10 year old can solve you know partial differential equations yeah I mean, it's just i don't know people are interesting and i think that sometimes i feel like we undervalue them and give up on them too quick and sometimes I feel like the system's just, I don't know, education's been weird. And uh, I'm excited to see something different. I hated school. 
hate so, everything yeah, about it. Yeah, I checked it. out. I just read, read my own books. Yeah, I just was, I was just trying to get home and play Halo. Right. That's all I was doing. And then college was just kind of like, I don't know. The best thing that happened to me, honestly, for me personally, and I've had to go back and I've never stopped wanting to learn. Like I desire to like learn and grow all the time. Touche. Desiretoland.com. Yeah. Plug. Touche. But like I, at 19, I started cleaning toilets in my dad's office. Like I, I just learned from the ground up. I had to earn every bit of respect. And that was the best thing for me because I didn't have, other people had degrees, they had gone through and learned this stuff. I had to go home and spend, you know, I'd work eight, nine hours and I'd go home and spend 10 more learning by myself. And so I, I desire to see that culture come about. Yeah, the lear- yeah, I think the learning thing's important, but it's interesting that you mentioned like you clean toilets and like most people would frown upon that. Like, oh, he's just cleaning a toilet. Yeah. But like, no, you also have to build competencies. Yeah. And so like you learn the competency of cleaning this toilet. And then what do you do after that? Front desk. Let's clean the freaking bathroom. Yep. And then, you know, so like you slowly expand these Just work things. through everything. And that's what's like really missing in our schools is the development of competencies. Hmm. And, you know, so you leave and you don't actually, you're not really skilled in anything. I'm not saying we should go back to trade schools, but like, I don't know, being able to be persuasive and like debate yeah. or write a computer program. These competencies are, are so important. Yeah. And you have like someone protesting out on the street. They want to overthrow the global economic system. Yeah. And they don't know how to Pez dispenser works. Yeah. We both went to Old High. Yeah. I mean, I would have liked to have seen some different, like, like there's some kids like that just weren't going to graduate. Yeah. And they for sure weren't going to go to college. And some of them were going to go back to the hood. Yeah. And, and do what they had to do to survive. And so I, I would have loved to have just seen better, like, well, I don't know, yeah. like, just like the tax test. Like you go through and like people are having to take these tests and I'm just like sitting there like, like you can cheat off me if you could, if this is going to get you out of here. Yeah. Um, of course, I don't know why anyone would have cheated off me in high school, but I think yeah, that, that's true. one of those things that bothered me all the time. Like that, I was bitter for years about that. Just some, some people that I knew and I loved and I was like, you don't have a chance. You yeah. won't succeed in this system and you don't care and I don't care, yeah. but I'm going to, it was different for me because of the opportunities I had yeah. in front of me. Which, you know, so we've worked with a ton of groups that you might normally say, oh, they're disadvantaged or, yeah. you know, they're not going to be on the right path. In particular, Cafe Con Leche, this amazing group yep. uh, that Gonzalo Robles has started, uh, a few hundred students, you know, mainly minorities. Few hundred? That, yeah, there's a, it's a huge group. That's awesome. Um, it's just, just incredible support structure and discipline and high expectations. And it's a group of kids that, you know, a lot of people have written off. Yep. Uh, you can't succeed within this existing system. Yep. You know, but we found when we put them in the Dexter system, those kids thrive. Yep. Because like, it's almost like, again, when you zoom out a little bit and you know, you see the kid that's from the country club and that has everything provided for him. Like he's kind of lost. Yep. Like there's an element of like being really soft. And, uh, like I certainly had so many opportunities as kids, like, and my parents were very well-meaning but they kind of did a disservice, hmm. you know, in providing everything and not having that, that struggle. Uh, because in the current system, you don't actually have to really do things. And so it doesn't really matter if you don't really have like real world competency yeah. or grit. Uh, whereas if you have like experienced hardship and you're in a system that is biased towards like doing real things, you might actually like thrive and succeed. Yeah. And so that little like softy kid that like has all the resources, 
Yeah. It's like the great equalizer. Yeah. And so, yeah, which I'm, I'm excited about changing that conversation. Yeah, for uh, sure. And like letting any kid that's listening to this, you know, if they're in like just this bad place, you know, maybe emotionally, economically, uh, that's a, that's a opportunity. Yeah. Change the conversation. That is, again, you're not a victim. Take complete ownership of, of your situation and then like recognizing that that's part of your story. Yeah. You know, that's like where the movie starts and you're like down in the dumps. Uh, but again, if you just are so focused on like you're like just zoomed in, head down on your phone, you know, you kind of miss the broader context. Yeah. I watched this documentary a couple weeks ago. I think his name's Steve Madden. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No. He's the but, shoe guy. Okay, nice. Madden shoes. Is that right? Is that a thing? I was thinking, is it Steve Madden, the Madden football? Or is that, what's his actual name? It's not Steve John, Madden. John Madden. John Madden. You kind of locked me up there because I don't know. I think <laughs> it's Steve Madden, but yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah. a women's shoes called Madden shoes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But long story short, this guy got in trouble uh, with the Bernie Madoff stuff, and he ended up having to go to jail. And he went to jail instead of his company getting in trouble. So he just went, and when he was in jail, he's like this big white dude who makes shoes in jail. Women's shoes. Women's shoes in jail. And so, and none of the guys in jail believed that he, he was like this big deal. He was like a huge star. No one believed him. But he started, he got cornered a part of the market in jail and started selling this stuff and started making all this money. Well, what he realized was a lot of these guys were unbelievable entrepreneurs. Hmm. Like they, they've been selling drugs on the streets their whole right? life, but they were good. Yeah. And they were the best. So he got out. Some of these guys got out. His cellmate got out. And they realized like, oh my goodness, this guy's actually a big deal. And this, he took, Steve took one of these guys and put him over a store in a major city. And this guy just destroyed. Just killed it. I mean, so I've always seen, I've never seen it as, I, Gary Vee, a bunch of other people say it, like, I don't, no one feels bad for you, you know? Everybody's gonna have different circumstances, mm-hmm. but it, the world doesn't care, it's gonna swallow you up. Yeah. Um, I feel guilty, I feel white guilt a lot of times. Like, I, just the culture I grew up in sometimes, but I've had to learn, like, hey, we're all in this game together. Yeah. Um, but I think that changing that conversation and creating a new system allows people that the world will throw away to get an opportunity to, to be killers. Yeah. To be killers. And that's exciting to me. 100%. I don't know if it would have helped me any. I think that I was just lazy as a kid and I just needed to grow. Um, and I think the system kind of may have done me more of a service than I thought it did looking back on it because it forced me to realize like, oh, it doesn't matter how good the system is. I've got to grind. Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't get easier. Yeah. I still got to work. And so I had to learn, like, oh, I've dropped the ball here. Now I'm going to have to put in a lot more work yeah. now. Um, but, yeah, the change in the conversation is exciting. But what we missed out on is the powerful ideas. Yeah. And, like, most people say relationship with mathematics. Yeah. Um, it's which, kind of like, which they always told me I would never make it in business. Like, in yeah. college, the teacher's like, you're doomed. You're an idiot. And, uh, like, business math makes so much sense to me mm-hmm. when I got to, like, live it in a practical well, world. Well, that's the thing. Like, what is mathematics? Yeah. So we ask our kids that. And most of them will say, like, calculation, pencil and paper, Y equals MX plus B. And then you ask mathematicians that, and they say problem solving, critical thinking, pattern, beauty. Yeah. I mean, how many people will, like, say that they're bad at critical thinking? Yeah. You know, so we have, like, this, yeah, super narrow definition of what, what mathematics is, but... Uh, as far as like doing a disservice to kids, I think there's a lot of malpractice taking place that we leave, you know, we, we finish and we're 18 years old and we don't have these like few powerful ideas that would just totally set us on a good path. 
and that it's kind of like when you're really young, it's easy to learn languages. And so going back to this, the safe space, you want to create a place where you can learn it in a fluent way mm. um, while you're young because, you, you know, your brain might be a little more plastic. Uh, There's a huge opportunity. And then like, you throw someone in China and they can't speak Chinese, like they're at a disadvantage. Mm. And so the same thing, like if a kid cannot think in terms of mathematics or logic or reason or literature or philosophy or art, like mm. if they don't have those worldviews, those powerful ideas, then you're at a huge yep. disadvantage. I, this is like a really interesting story. I probably shouldn't say this on the internet, but one time I posted this, uh, this thing on Hacker News. So Hacker News is like my front page of the internet. Like every morning, Hacker News. Uh, it's from Y Combinator, this incubator in California. All these engineers and scientists like post links and there's like really good dialogue. Cool. I posted this thing. Uh, Wikipedia took down the Ghost in the Shell philosophy webpage. And so I made my own webpage for it and posted it on there. It was on the front page. A bunch of people commented. And then like a few days later, I got an email. And it was this guy that said like, it was just, I think he was like a normal guy, like an engineer on that website. He was like, hey, someone sent me these books. Uh, the titles might look a little weird, but check them out. And he linked me a Google Drive. And there was like 30 folders. And in each folder was a book. Uh, and so I like, I open it and I click on the first book. And it's, I think it was called The God Game. And the first page, and at this point I'm like, what? Because it starts talking about the Illuminati. And in my head I'm like, okay, I've heard of the Illuminati, and you know, it's it's these like old rich guys with cigars plotting, you know, to overtake the world. And pretty much what this book said was like, no. What this concept of the Illuminati is, it means the illuminated one. It started like in ancient Greece with mathematics, and what how you become illuminated is you start viewing the world through mathematics. That's the name of the game. You know, so if I flip the lights off in this room, you couldn't see, you'd be kind of like stumbling around, but then say I flipped the lights on and like Evan could see the light, but you couldn't, he'd be at an advantage because he can navigate the terrain mm. in a more effective way. And what they're saying is that's pretty much what mathematics is. It allows people to navigate the terrain, whether through financial models or the aerodynamics of an airplane yeah. or having like a logical discussion. If you can use reason, mathematics, then you kind of become illuminated. So you're saying you don't think there's the Illuminati? No. I think a lot of that stuff is like <laughs> caricatures of reality. I got to tell you though, for like half a second, I thought you were going to say that you had been given <laughs> was, a transcript from the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is well, so, not where so, I thought we were so going. So here's where that notion of like the meeting or like, so like say say you had had a degree in physics and you had like gone really deep into mathematics uh, and like you took, you know, so you and I could have a conversation about quantum physics on a level that's elevated. Yeah, yeah, That For sure. You know, so in a sense, we are kind of on this, in this meeting place, uh, this, this kind of like platonic yeah, yeah. level, uh, which is interesting to think about. But yeah, I think, you know, and I, this kind of like the series of like, you know, you grow up, in this culture and then you realize there's other cultures and then you start trying to like understand the mechanisms of things and then you like you know in my case i like read about the federal reserve and the creature from jekyll island and all these like you know and so you start thinking of like conspiracies and yep you know it's the catholic church or the bilderbergs or the this yeah. or the that control the world um and the, the the scary thing is most people stop there and they think like that's how the world is orientated um but then the next step is to kind of go beyond that and to recognize that we exist in this incredibly complex system. Hmm. And those are all kind of caricatures. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's just, wouldn't it be nice if a small group of men controlled everything? Yeah. Uh, but as we said earlier, reality is just like the moment you're in control. Good luck. Yep. He, <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. I don't think we want to face reality though. Yeah. I think conspiracy theories allow us. Oh, it'd be so nice to chase something that's not here. Yeah, it takes the culpability off of us. Yeah, you know so that's why the same like people call other people geniuses. Like, oh, they're a different kind, uh, or oh, the reason we don't have you know, the reason that we don't have a a, a clean planet is because we're relying on fossil fuels. The reason we have fossil fuels is because there's just these evil corporations that are you know, stumping like putting out any free energy or any nuclear fusion innovation. Uh, and so that's the reason it's not happening. Yeah. But the real reason is because like, you're not doing something about it, that you're not taking the steps required to develop crystallic fusion. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think, again, Charlie Munger, the partner of uh, Warren Buffett, he said like genius intelligence is much more about putting in guidelines and checklists to make sure you're not being an idiot hmm. so it's like much more about like trying to like that's the thing that's the key idea humans are dumb we're idiots like yeah. we're like yeah it wasn't that long ago we were kind of scratching each other's butts like we for sure we need to constantly be on guard of kind of deluding ourselves of lying to ourselves of telling ourselves fairy tales uh because we yeah we lie to ourselves all the time and so we got to like constantly be checking that yeah, uh, and like organizations do that. You know, people are constantly telling themselves these these yeah. lies, and that's how we get these like really broken systems. But yeah, I don't. I think it takes a level of enlightenment and intelligence though, to understand that. Like you get to that point. Mm-hmm. Like the goal when you're growing up is to get smart, or you know, you look at these people who are geniuses. But when I feel like every time I've ever heard someone in a room that I respect their intelligence, that's always been the response. Yeah, it's like it's not it's not me. You know, like. I don't know, I always trust people that say things like, we're all idiots. Like when they, when you realize that, yeah. the depth of a human, that's, like that's a idea. good place. Well, and yeah, like it's a little bit overset at this point because of like the whole Aristotle thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I know that I know nothing, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you can quote it all day yeah. until you actually put it in practice and believe it. It's a whole different Well, game. so here's the thing, going back to competencies. The reason I like deeply understand why you know, there's not a conspiracy against free energy is because as an engineer, I've tried to build things and I've tried to make things and I've realized how damn hard it is. Yeah. It's like so hard to like make something that works and that other people can use. And again, reality is a harsh, harsh mistress. Yep. And so like most people want to just say that there's that quote about don't equate evil, which you can equate to stupidity or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, and so like you look at the the president or some congressman, it's like, why are they acting that way? They're such idiots. They're so dumb. And it's like, well, no, they're just operating under constraints that you cannot possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, th- I think this you can everyone can arrive at that point of view if they actually try to, like, do something, build something, take on the burden of responsibility. Like you, you know, working at Design Works and being a big part of that, you've probably realized how tough it is yeah and like the humility that you have to yeah adopt you're either gonna you're either gonna be humble or get humbled fast yeah there's no middle ground you know because you every everything you do could have gone two ways three ways and so i don't know 
people are interesting, but I think just like learning myself the last five years has been fun. So how have you done that? Just being a practitioner. I'm just putting into yeah. practice. And that's just, a key and word. Just, and key just word. Living. That's, that's probably my yeah. biggest frustration. Like in whatever it is, it's easy to listen to a couple podcasts and read some books and have, and have some good head knowledge on a topic. Yeah. But until you live it, until you like eat, sleep and breathe it, it's just different and you learn yeah. a lot. And I feel like you get confident in what you know early. And I feel like you get humbled as time goes on and it puts you in the, in the greatest place for leadership, the greatest place for just like loving people, mm-hmm. the greatest place to grow more. Cause the moment I think you stop being humble, I think you stop learning. Yeah. And that's my biggest fear. I, I, my family used to always laugh like, because I just hated school. My dad's like, oh, what are you going to do? I was like, I'll probably go to the NBA. Like, there's got to be a chance. He's like, you're Everyone 21. That, like, you're not, you know what college even called. Everyone needs that, like, yeah, the, the short white guy that can just make every three he yeah. looks at. You put me in the corner, <laughs> I guarantee you, I'll make two out of ten. Um, but I, 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 I never cared. Like, I was never excited. Money's never been a motivator for me. Mm-hmm. I don't get gassed about it. Um, I mean, I've taken pay cuts to build the team. Like, I... I just, my thing now is like learning to lead people better and learning to grow every day. And then obviously being in the marketing world, like when somebody's willing to give me money, like it's so personal, like you're going to entrust me money that you could either give to your family or you could put back in your business. Like I'm going to do everything I can to make you succeed. And that keeps me up at night. Like I get gassed about it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like that, the starting, the best thing that happened to me was starting cleaning toilets. I know every area of that agency. I know everything about the world. And I've just constantly tried to prove myself wrong. Like, is there a better method? Let's just let's run and try it. If and I'm always trying to replace myself. If I can find someone that's better than me at my job, then come on, because I'll always create a new avenue to grow it. So I don't know. I just I appreciate like y'all's culture of like being practitioners, like just living it. Yeah, and I think a good word that goes with practitioners is like being a scientist. Hmm. And so thinking of your life, I just feel like I can't say that an experiment. Well, no, I mean, like, what, what is a scientist? Like, Every time you've asked that? a question today, I've gotten nervous. Because <laughs> I thought you were waiting for me to answer. All right, derivative of X squared. Yeah, I, would just, I would just roll this chair out of this door, and you can just finish this podcast by yourself. No, but, no, but I like what that is word. This, like, what is a scientist? It's, it's someone that has a framework of thought. Yeah. You know, we call it the scientific method, uh, which is a, a fancy way of saying we need a checklist. Hmm. You know, there's like this fascinating story about hospitals. We're able to just dramatically improve outcomes and reduce unneeded deaths by just adopting checklists. Hmm. You know, so like how many, again, this goes back to like the Illuminati thing. It's like, how many times have you been in a conversation and you use mathematics to like flesh it out and like logic? Hmm. And like, well, here, like you like use numbers to like have a dialogue conversation. Yeah. Or how many times in your daily life do you like use a checklist? You know, but these things work. And so like, okay, a scientist uses some checklist or framework, you know, which is like, let's come up with what we think will happen based off of what we have previously measured. Yeah. So like, again, just this framework and then constant experimentation. Yeah. And then like, it's this, that's the thing what we don't realize in school. We think that science is this kind of idealized Victorian thing that like everyone just has the right answer and but no, like in practice, and this is what I found like as a practicing, you know, scientist or engineer doing research 
is that it's like this very messy process. You're kind of like a little kid stumbling in the dark, you know, just trying to grab for things. Yeah. And so embracing like that messy process is only possible if you have like that framework. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, experimenting, you know, so I'm constantly like experimenting with my diet, uh, with my schedule, with just like yeah, experimenting. Are you an early morning guy? Uh, I can be, you know, so like, Today we woke up at six. The day before that was five, um, you know. But I've also like gone periods where I tried, you know, because of work until late, stayed up late and went, woke up early. Um, I think routine is the important thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and sleep. I'm so fascinated with sleep, dude. Like, especially with I started dream journaling because, uh, like, so my two paths. I thought I was going to either do this or go to graduate school and become a theoretical physicist. Hmm. Uh, and my big insight was, so we come up with these scientific theories. This is again, an important, powerful idea. We think of like evolution or Newtonian mechanics or quantum physics. Uh, we think of them as like fact, but it's like, no, these are maps. These are models. These yeah. are approximate, you know, so it's not like this is how things are. It's like, this is kind of how to think their stories. And so the, hmm. we had this story of like Newtonian mechanics. And a lot of times we superimpose the most advanced technology on our stories. And so like the advanced technology at the time was like clocks. And so we said, reality is a clock. And that was a great story to say. That was a good model. It allowed us to get to the moon. Like just using Newtonian mechanics, hmm. we got to the moon. Uh, and so the process of science is kind of coming up with better stories. And so I had this idea that the story is kind of like we're in a computer simulation, that reality is kind of like a video game. It's kind of like a dream. And so then the question is like, what does that new point of view allow you to do? Hmm. Uh, which in this case, like, well, what can you do in a video game? You know, cause there's this layer of reality and then there's this sub layer of code. And so, you know, the distance between you and I feels very real like right now, but in the context of like a video game, we experience the distance, yeah. but there's like a fundamental unity. Hmm. So to, speaking on dreams, I started like dream journaling, which allows you to like get lucid in dreams. So you start to realize you're in the dream. Uh, so how do you do this? So I would just wake up, I have an app. I wake up and just write my dream down. And then there's also like- Like, like middle of the night you wake up. You're, it's usually in the morning okay. because, because of the way your sleep cycle works. Okay. You do most uh, of your like restorative sleep in the beginning and you do your, I guess it'd be REM sleep, rapid eye movement, mm -hmm. where you're doing the dreaming towards the morning. So be in the morning, wake up, and you do that. Uh, and like, so I have these dream reminders. It's like, are you dreaming? You just ask the question. Uh, Cause then the idea is that you, you ask it in the dream. Um, so to keep these dream journals, and that was also interesting cause you, I used to think dreams were pretty arbitrary, but it's like, no, your brain is like, it even, for some reason, there say there's like two groups, and one of the groups, when they went to sleep, they just like, you know, nothing really happened. The other group, they took all their experiences from the day, and they ran complex simulations on like what might happen. You know, mm. So they dreamt of like the tiger behind the bush. Mm. You know, so like for whatever reason, we all evolved to like to dream. Pretty much everyone gonks out, closes their eyes, lays down for eight hours, and then they dream for part of that, which yeah. is really bizarre. So lucid dreaming is like insane. Hmm. So you are aware that you're dreaming when you're inside the dream. Uh, but usually it kind of like breaks down immediately. I've had one real time where I realized I was in a dream and like everything was concrete and I just was like, oh my God. 
there is an equivalence between this reality and the reality outside the dream. And this is like a really old idea. Um, so one of the dreams I had, I was like semi-lucid. And I said, the distance between you and I, I was talking to a dream character, is an illusion. Uh, and because I, I thought I was kind of like awake. And so I, I did my whole little rap about, you know, distance and illusion. And quantum physics is saying this with like non-locality. Mm. There's some type of connectivity or uh, in some more fundamental way, there's a connection between what we used to think was like two different points in space-time. It's like mm. there's these non-local connectors, if you will. So I was saying this in the dream. Distance between us is an illusion. On some different level, we're like equidistance to the, the source. And then I woke up, and I realized within the context of that dream, I was right. Like, the dis like we experienced distance between each other in that dream, but it was just a projection from my mind. Yeah. And so like that reality was kind of like we we're inside of a mind. Yeah. And so you might say that's like the mind of God or like just we're inside some type of mind. Yeah. Which then you start thinking as reality as a type of more like a biological thing. Uh, so it was like a huge digression. But again, the type of things that talking 60 years out, like it's, it's I think it's healthy to. Yeah to think about those things. Um, but then to also be able to tie your shoe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess so we got, we got on that from the, the importance of sleep. Um, yeah, sleep is so, so fundamentally important. Um, and yeah, it's like talking about the schools, you know, so we have kids going at seven thirty, eight thirty, and they're going to bed at 10 or 11 and they have their phone out and their circadian rhythm is being controlled by the blue light. And so their sleep cycle is completely out of whack. I was going to show you, did you, have you listened to the guy that was on Rogan's podcast? The sleep science guy? Yeah. Yeah. I read, I read his book. Great. So I listened to that podcast three times. Really? Because it, it messed me up <laughs> because I knew that like sleep's important mm -hmm. from like a, like a high level. Like, of course it is. Yeah. We need to sleep. Feel like crap when I don't. Yeah. yeah like I, I just need to, man, that messed me up. It made my wife so mad because I like blacked our room out oh, and I yeah. stopped getting on my phone. Did you actually though? Yeah. Like we, we, put, <laughs> we put foil on our windows. Yeah, same. Yeah. We unplugged. We had like a cable box. I actually it unplugged it and left the room. Like I'm sleeping in the air traffic control, like all these lights and nightmare. Yeah. Get I'm like, um, if I watch anything before I go to bed, it, it messes me up. Yeah. Do you know where blue blockers? What? These orange glasses. So like we all, like Evan wears them. I wear them. So that, that, cause the mm. going back to like light so different like all all light is like just electromagnetic duration with different mm. uh, wavelengths or frequency i guess you'd say um and so our brain was is like the algorithm of whether or not to go to sleep is a function of the intensity of that light or not the intensity but the the kind of that light so it's the blue light which is has the more energy okay and so if you can block that blue light you essentially can trick your brain to thinking it's time to go to bed. So they say that red light's important? Like it helps you... As far as like exposure? Get ready, get ready for sleep, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah. At least so that, if, that's if how I sold my wife. wakes you up. How, yeah. to get, how to get hue lights. Yeah. That's the only reason I wanted them. So they're like those like long, low energy yeah. uh, light. So that would make sense because like, again, whenever the sun's like over the horizon, why does the sky look so weird? Einstein answered, asked this question. We didn't even really know why was the sky blue. And this is like in like the early 1900s, like open question. Again, 
we have so many open questions in science yeah and like we think it's a closed book but like well how cool would it be if you walked in the class and the teacher asked a question that they actually didn't have an answer they never did that for me no, no. but that's like precisely what we should be learning how to do yeah uh you know like how do you solve climate change yeah hell i don't know let's let's, let's think it out um so what are these glasses what you said they don't wear glasses yeah uh blue blockers just yeah just google them Okay. They're like super goofy. You can get some that fit over glasses. They're like eight bucks on Amazon. And you wear them like? I wear them like when I want to start my circadian rhythm. So usually like nine or depending on when I go to bed. Time to go to bed. Uh, so n- the schedule that we're trying to get to is go to bed at nine, wake up at five. Uh, okay. But last night it was like went to bed at like 11, woke up at six, which I'm trying to get like. For me, I found that like around eight hours, eight, eight and a half hours is, is yeah. kind of what I need. Have you ever flipped it and gone to like go to bed at one, get up at nine? So, uh, I have, and I've also played around with polyphasic sleep, polyphasic sleep. Uh, so poly meaning like multiple, uh, because my favorite engineer, Buckminster Fuller allegedly did this. Uh, and so it's pretty crazy. You sleep for like 90 minute increments. That was on this podcast. I think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, not which biphasic, which would be, I think what people actually used to do. Yeah. Which is you like you sleep and then you wake up and do whatever. He said it, he thought it was a culture trend. Is what yeah. he thought it was. wasn't helpful fully. Yeah, which I could see. Uh, he said they'd sleep yeah. like a couple hours at night, wake up, eat, sleep a little bit, and then go. Yeah. I mean, but even like think about when the sun's out. There's nothing to do. You have like candlelight, but yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, so this I I think I kept it for like two weeks of because uh, the the goal is to sleep less time. And so uh, I think you end up getting like three or four hours of sleep, but you, cause you do it in like these, it was like nine, I think it, yeah, 90 minute increments. You do a few mm. of those. It just, it didn't, didn't work. That sounds like a nightmare. Um, yeah, it wasn't ideal. Although I'm really interested in, uh, there was this paper that they played the audio of, uh, cause the different sleep cycles are, I guess the non-REM sleep, your brain is completely synchronized. And so it's like from the front to the back, because it's all electrical. And so it's the electrical signal like forms a wave. So it's like, gets really energized up front and then slowly propagates to the back. And it, it's like this cleaning effect. Like, I think it's like four or five hertz or something. So like it does it a few times a second. Uh, and they found that if you play that audio while you're sleeping, it'll increase the amplitude and give you like deeper sleep which is cool. And so like if you could, again, optimize these things, uh, what if you couldn't just sleep like three hours and get the equivalent of 10 hours of awesome sleep? Uh, We're playing with fire. Well, so in, in, that, in that in combination, have you done a flotation tank? No, I've heard about that. You, Yeah, they're, they're super interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's something at some point I would like to, yeah. like to build it and even just experiment with sleeping in those. Yeah. I, I like want to invest money for us at DesignWorks in sleep pods. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a huge believer just on doing it on like a good 15 minute nap. Yeah. Like midday. It's a game changer for me. Have you, I, do you do it often? Yeah. I've got, well, I did not ever. I used to think it was, cause I used to always say I was really like tired and droggy afterward, but if I can go 15 um, and, I, and I just eat like a pretty like, like light meal, 15 minute nap, I'm fresh and my uh, cal, uh, caffeine goes way down. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like, so it's really helpful to deconstruct words because really things are just so absurd if you like deconstruct them for what they really are. Yeah. So like we're just filming a podcast, but then if you like deconstruct what podcast actually means and like 
yeah, yeah. we're on this crazy ball spinning on this fire it's like you yeah, know, yeah. So, yeah i just nap for 15 minutes it's like okay what does that really mean you just like lay there and just like completely go unconscious for 15 minutes at a time and just it's so crazy yeah it was on i was on one of the podcasts i don't know why was, uh joe Rogan was talking to this girl that won the mohab 240 oh man did you hear about this girl no but can you imagine 240 miles of running and she beat um everybody guys girls everybody by like 12 wow. hours 12 hours like just destroyed she'd gone home had a steak dinner slept eight hours and came back to watch second place run across the line but they would have people run with them a different a different animal <laughs> it's not even a physical thing at that point it's all mental like you're just mentally a different human when you yeah. can lock in but uh they would have different people run legs with them mm-hmm. and she had someone running with her and she started kind of wobbling and she was seeing like rabbits because she hadn't slept she was just seeing hallucinating and so guys like you need to sleep so she tried to sleep a couple times couldn't do it and so she said i'm gonna go to sleep i want you to set your alarm for 60 seconds and if you let me sleep longer than 60 seconds i will cut your throat the guy's like okay so she laid down hit 60 seconds woke her up and she got up and was pissed at him she's like why would you let me sleep this long You've messed me up. And he's like, it was 60 seconds. She was the best sleep she ever had. Interesting. 60 she's seconds. She's so exhausted. She was, yeah, she's just so... But it's crazy the body can get there that quick. And I'm sure it's still not healthy. Yeah. Not or sustainable. But that... She's also a different human being. Yeah, 240-mile run. I ran two miles the other day. Guess. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. That's enough. Yeah. So, yeah. I just... I don't know. Sleep's been something that... After listening to that podcast, like... Like being, treating it as something important, like food, like yeah. like consciously thinking about eating healthy, but also saying like, I, I need to prioritize. You know, like last night, I stayed up too late because I was out. So I went to bed at, you know, 11.45, 12, and got up at five. Like that's not sustainable for no, me. No. Like tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow, if I don't get good sleep tonight, and that was the thing that messed me with that podcast was I always believed you could bank yeah, it back. There's no bank. You just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to sleep. I'll sleep 12 hours Saturday night. Like yeah. I'll be fine. And that made me so mad. I was like trying to, I did so much research trying to disprove that dude because I wanted to believe that you could bank it back, but it makes so much sense. And what are you saying about the different stages of sleep and how they have, they they happen at different parts of the night. So like you might think you only, you know, oh, I'm only getting an hour less yep. sleep. It's like, well, actually that's like 80% of your REM sleep. That, th- yeah, that was kind of. I know. But so this is important, you know, when we talk about, like I was at a design meeting for WFISD, it was like, they brought a bunch of members of the community to talk about the future of the school district mm-hmm. um, and how to improve student outcomes. No one talked about how to improve the kids' sleep. Yep. And yet, that's like probably one of the like five things that actually have an impact. Yeah. Or is it because the, the people are naive to it or, or is it because, because it's not this, money-making? It would require systemic change. Yeah. And the, you know, the existing systems that are in place are really nice for a lot of people. Yeah. In terms of like... That's a lot to change. Well, and there's, again, they have a lot of responsibility. And so like the system's kind of working, uh, but there's a huge risk for like, what if you change the system and like it completely doesn't work? You know, so not to say, again, like there's, I don't think people are evil. I just think they're operating under constraints we don't understand. Uh, And so I I get why it would be hard to do that. That's why we should like, that's why the free market is so great is because it allows for like many experiments startups 
this kind of works, this doesn't work, okay, let's put more resources into that. It's like a really nice voting mechanism. Hmm. You know, and like we're voting every day with our dollars. Hmm. I like that. It makes me question where I want to spend money. Yeah, we, yeah, when we pervert that process, bad things happen. And, you know, being in education, it's a, it's so, like anytime, I, as a scientist, as someone that was trained as an engineer, anytime I'm in a place where people, there's taboo subjects, to me, that's like a huge red flag. You know, like, again, if, if you're right, you're a majority of one. Like, if something is true, it can take the abuse. So the moment that you kind of like get into a group where you have to like lower your gaze and like, you know, you're probably around a shyster, you know? And so like, you should welcome debate and, yep. you know, like press me on what we're like our educational philosophy, because like it's backed by like reason and a logical framework. Uh, there's no, to- there's no taboos here. Yeah. If there's something that's like a bad idea, like it'll just be a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but then you have like straight up taboos in the industry, um, you know, about like say the V word vouchers. <gasps> yeah and that's just not a healthy place to be in yeah like that's what that's one of the powerful ideas is that debate discussion logic like it allows for you to to piece through those kind of thorny yeah. things um yeah taboos are taboos are bad yeah it's always weird when you like get into that situation with someone there's a there's a, or, the, or a thing there's a wall mm-hmm. i always question like why because i had i think Young Logan, there's a lot of walls because I thought like I had to defend what I believed. Yeah. Like so, I had to bury my feet in the sand, and like everything you, were you what, said. You were what def- were defending it, not the idea itself. No, yeah, yeah. I just had to like make sure, like, that, <laughs> yeah, don't because I don't want to be wrong. The, yeah, and, and I don't even think always I was wrong. I think I just probably been looking at it. Yeah, I could have looked at it from a better angle or adjusted what I saw or viewed. And when, once I learned, I didn't have to bury my feet in the ground. I could just let it play out. Not game changer life changed and that's yeah for like teachers as well whenever they stop thinking they're the kind of the arbiter of truth in the classroom Hmm. um it allows for like just such a healthier environment are y'all gonna work well with teachers or teachers gonna hate y'all oh no we i mean we are teachers like we teach this is the thing we've taught these classes uh and so we're working with the teachers to make tools to make their life better so they're excited oh yeah so we like we have a full-time teacher on our staff uh because part of it is just developing tools for them to make yeah. their life easier, to help them transition into facilitators. Um, yeah, and you know, as far as like teachers' jobs being on the line, uh, I don't think that. I get. I think down the line, fifty years maybe, uh, technology will have something to say about that. Mm. I think in the short term, it's actually going to be budgetary constraints that have something to say about teachers. Mm. So if you look in WFISD budget, it's like 120 million, something like that. Uh, I think it's like 65 to 70 million is spent on teacher salaries. Um, you know, and we're due for another recession. Like it's it's ha- it's yeah. one, two, three, maybe four years. Yeah, uh, we're due for a correction. I don't we're the longest. Like, we're the longest it's been. Like right now, we're hitting that number. And right? it, it makes sense why. Like the quantitative, they just pumped like cheap money into the system. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean in like an apocalyptic, like, oh, crap. yeah, yeah. It's like, no, like there's corrections in the market. Uh, this is just going to be like a especially hefty correction. Yeah. Um, you know, but so what does that mean for like school systems? Um, 
you know, so like what, what if we have to, because of budgetary constraints, we lose 10% of our teachers and now our kids are like really in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and so like, we really do need some tools and technologies that enable this. And so we really do need learning environments. I, I my kind of long-term view of like schools is that they'll probably look more like Chuck E. Cheese for learning. Hmm. You know, there's not really adults telling you what to do necessarily. Not to say like learning should just always be like about fun. It's like, no, like your kid yeah, yeah. as adults, Buckle in, there's yeah. some direction and yeah. like, you know, you need to facilitate that. Um, but you know, Chuck E. Cheese is like, you go there and you're like an active participant in what you're doing. Hmm. And whenever you're the active participant, instead of you're just passively observing someone giving a lecture, then that like, enables like some really interesting design environments. And so then, you know, maybe the student teacher ratio is like one to a hundred and people will gasp at that. Like, oh, that's so, that's terrible. Even so much so that it's legislated in Texas, one to 22, the ratio has to be for primary. It's such a kind of a hmm. unquestioned thing. Um, but I'm starting to think of it more in terms of, well, maybe it's just because the environment's not optimized. Yeah. And so like, is it a good sign if we have a lot of police officers to student, to, to citizens in, in our country? Yeah. No, you want that as like, you want that ratio to be as high as possible. Yeah. Do you uh, get pushback on that? Oh, of course. That sounds like, uh, that sounds taboo. Yeah. But again, you know what I'm saying? Like that sounds like something that people would freak out over. So yes. And, uh, Again, but there's like a process yeah. that, 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 that you don't just do that. But this year. A lot of times people will make kind of assessments on statements like that within the existing context. Yeah. And so they're like, they're thinking when I say 100 to one within their existing school and yeah, their yeah, classrooms yeah. and their systems, their grading systems, their times, their curriculum, would that work in that system? No way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm talking of a fundamentally different. Yeah. yeah. That's construct. a whole new school. Uh, yeah, like from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, yeah. So the teachers don't have to be afraid of losing their jobs within the existing systems. And so we're developing tools that will make their lives way, way easier cool. and uh, turn them into facilitators, help them build relations with their students, uh, actually enable them to communicate across grades and departments. Uh, essentially, like one of the things we're building out is a, a curriculum platform. And so all of these school districts are adopting project-based learning and more kind of participatory education. And so you need to develop new curriculum for that. Hmm. And right now, like teachers are not talking to each other. There's like teachers pay teachers and they kind of like share lesson plans, uh, but there's not like a YouTube for them to upload. Uh, yeah. that's tagged. So you can, you know, so a teacher from Burke can upload her project-based learning exercise and she can tag it with whatever teaks it hits and she can put that on the platform. And then any teacher can use that and provide feedback. And so hmm. then it allows that piece of content to get better and better and better. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's like a, in the short term and medium term, we're trying to provide as much value as possible uh, to educators. Um, but then also like, like asking these uncomfortable questions because like, what is education about? Is it about the teachers or is it about the kids? And uh, I want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. You know, I asked the question in the design meeting at WFIC. Uh, I said, picture the most advanced school 100 years from now. Are there more or less teachers there? People just get up and walk out. The one, there's one guy that, that said something. He said, there's, there's the same amount of teachers, but they're, they're a little more efficient. Uh, and I was like, you guys fail to, again, we overestimate on the short term and underestimate For on sure. the long term. You fail to recognize just the progression of technology 
and we think of it early on in my life I read a book uh, and it talked about structural unemployment uh, it tells the story of this island and there's like 10 fishermen on the island and they would just like go out in the morning fish bring back the fish to the village that was their life and then one day this kind of clever fisherman he was like he came up with a net and so he was able to catch as many fish as all the other nine with that single net and he effectively put them out of work because he was doing the same amount of work mm. with that net uh, most people would think that was a bad thing and they should stop that process for sure but it created structural unemployment and so those people what do they do they didn't just play with their thumbs they went back and it freed up that labor force to do new things and so then they could do medicine yeah. and religion and art and so it had this really liberating effect because it freed up that labor source and so anytime I see technology displacing jobs in the short term that might suck people yeah, might, yeah. you know people are gonna hurt people are panicked but you got to always zoom out you know you always have to look at the broader picture and that it's, it's structural unemployment and it frees the labor force up to do awesome things and so right now we have a situation where you know there's millions of people in the US doing transportation jobs and driving a semi-truck well that's not gonna be a job five years from now no not happening nope uh, best, it's gonna best suck food. for a lot it's gonna suck for a lot of, yeah same deal it's gonna suck for a lot of people uh, but it frees them up and that's why yep. we need this again we're looking at it in the context of our current system and so like right now they don't have much opportunities because they're not lifelong learners they don't yep. have these powerful meta skills the most important skill to learn is to learn uh, so they're not equipped to deal with that um, so that's why like the education piece is so important once we start having this accelerating change that displaces workers mm. and transportation uh, the next biggest is teachers that's if you look at the list so it's transportation and then teachers uh, and then like some service yeah. industry jobs um, you know so like that's a reality yep that's there's no question about that and so what is that it's a combination of Moore's law the fact the fact that we like computation continues to get more and more efficient um, computer programming yeah. 3d printing robotics uh, the internet yeah like all of these things have just changed the game yeah uh, and I can't I mean I don't know what things are gonna be like 50 years from now yeah and so how do we how do we prepare our kids for that this is a perfect segue and you might not give me an answer so we can, we can kind of wrap up on this cool. but so we always, for some reason, when Jared and I are doing a podcast, it just goes everywhere. But I've been I've been laying down these like future predictions of what I think is going to happen in the future, yes. and I always am very clear. Like I have no idea. Like part of this is just like imagination. Mm-hmm. Part of this is like I kind of think this could happen. But do you have any? Like I don't want to steer you in a direction. Like any, it could be anything. Like from products in your home to whatever of like, hey, this is going to happen. Um, within fifty years. There will be a colony on the ocean with over a thousand people, and it will have it'll be Let's like a go. quasi nation state. Let's go. And so it'll allow for new forms of government and organization. Let's go. And it will probably be fifty years. Yeah, it'll probably be in the Pacific, and it'll probably partner with like a partner nation, like French Polynesia. Uh, guy. But so that's another meta. It's another meta thing. You want to create like right now. So it was so great that the founding fathers could leave Europe and go to this new place and experiment with new forms of government, social arrangement. It led to so much great yeah, things yeah. happen. Uh, and so, like, what's after democracy? 
well, we don't really have a place to experiment with that. We have the internet, but we need like, we're still embodied humans. We need a, yeah. a place to experiment. Uh, and I think it's the moon and the Mars and Mars is a little bit far off as far as having a substantial number of people there. Um, but yeah, probably maybe more than a thousand, 10,000, like yeah. just an incredible, like a space station on the ocean that combines the East and the West. It allows for new forms of social arrangement. Uh, that's free from a lot of these kind of archaic regulations and such. Um, what can come from that when you have that free society? Let's go. I like that. I mean, I'm now I feel like I can't make any more future predictions because <laughs> I've been like, oh, they're all, they're all going to happen on the ocean colony. Yeah. I've been saying things like, I think that cemeteries are going to become more augmented, like where you can get oh, storytelling for sure. Dude, for sure. You're going to go through and be able to like see some the story of someone's yes. life. Like, I think that would be cool. Then you yeah. go to someone's, like, grave. It's like, oh, I mean, like, you see their story walk through. I, those are, like, my predictions. And you're over here building a whole new no, world. That's, dude, that's a great... That's a great kind of prediction as far as, like, computers disappear. And so, like, like right now, there's these weird little boxes. Yeah, yeah. But... It's got to be going in contact you, like, lenses. walk inside of. And, yeah, like, kind of just all around us. Do you think we're even going to have furniture? Like, at some point... Like, I'm going to have things we set in. But, like, you're going to walk in and your screen's going to be connected to you. Yeah. And you're going to just open up and roll because that's what i'm excited about like we were talking about from a marketing standpoint like at what point am i gonna be able to put an ad in your home through vr well, like, i mean like yeah so then that's where, where voice is so interesting because then you just say like alexa order some pizza yeah so you better hope you're that pizza yeah because that's what we always talk about like in search you want to be on the first page mm-hmm. well now search you have to be the answer it's yeah. not a list of answers like who is the best yeah. and like there's one answer yeah. so you better be it or you will, um, or the market will push you out. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for your time, man. Dude, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again. Of course.